At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Hi, everybody. Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for uh, visiting us again. 1-866-408-7669. You want to write us, briankilmeade.com. Just click on comments, and I'll try to get to them during the show. Uh, big news, uh, Boris Johnson, long rumored uh, to be on his way out, is now out as Prime Minister of England. We'll talk about that. He's a powerful personality that only has himself to blame. I don't want to go inside British politics, but it's his own behavior and decisions that got him into this mess. On the world stage, he was actually doing quite well, uh, helping to unify NATO, leading the charge against Vladimir Putin. Good personality, but his decisions absolutely horrendous, and that's what Vladimir Putin wants. They want a weak president, and they would love a uh, they would love turmoil in the UK, and they got both. Betsy DeVos is standing by, the former Secretary of Education, with her best-selling book, Hostages No More. But before we get to that, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It appears when he drove to Madison, he was driving around. However, he did see a celebration that was occurring in Madison, uh, and he seriously contemplated using the firearm he had in his vehicle to commit another shooting. Unbelievable, right? Uh, Highland Massacre could have been worse as the shooter eyed Madison on the same day. The story and that story and how the despicable dad remains defiant and says he's innocent, but I think he's complicit. We'll give you the latest uh, along with another would-be massacre that was thwarted in Richmond. Number two. Everything Biden does is permeated by this, you know, leftist climate change, Green New Deal. And he really believes that this uh, high price of oil will be mitigated with the use of renewables. Unbelievable. And we're all paying the price because of it. Outrageous. Reuters reports our strategic oil reserve is being released to China and India, who is aiding and abetting Russia. It's America's great it's America's great crude oil and our energy and security. And it's going to our enemies. This is inexcusable. Number one. The guy is a total fraud. I mean, look, he sided with the Biden administration killing the energy industry in Ohio in the name of green energy. I'm not surprised that he's politically smart enough to know that he has to run from Joe Biden. 
Uh, that is J.D. Vance, who wants to replace Rob Portman as a Republican senator from Ohio. Insult to the injured. Two Dems looking for statewide office in Ohio skip President Biden's speech in Cleveland, underlining his weakness as the foundation starts cracking beneath his feet and his party. However, the Republicans don't have a clear path to power either. They have to earn it. I'll explain. Let's bring in the former Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. Congratulations on your book, uh, Ms. Secretary. Hostages No More is a New York Times bestseller. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Um, It's uh, great to get the message out there about how we can fix American education. And uh, Hostages No More is a story about just doing just that and gives us ways to do it. Uh, Americans had a front row seat the last two years in how the education system actually handles delivering learning to kids. And many people are very disappointed. So it's a prime time to have policy change that will support families and kids, not systems. So I was spent last week with Governor Yunkin, and he, I would say that he probably wouldn't get elected as governor of Virginia if those school boards didn't erupt after people found out the curriculum that they were being taught their kids and, they were, and parents were dismissed when they tried to give some input into it. Uh, Ms. Secretary, when you took over this job, did you know a lot of this anti-American CRT was taking place? Well, I knew that it had been continued. It was continuing to infiltrate in many places, but the exposure that it got in in you know families' living rooms during COVID uh, certainly brought it right in front of parents who never thought they had to worry or be concerned about their kids' curriculums. You know, also. Parents were told to just go home and not speak up when their schools were closed for months longer than they needed to be. Uh, They were also told to go home and don't speak up when they saw, uh, you know, distance learning that was anything but high expectations and robust. There were there are many reasons why families are unhappy with the status quo and with the system that they thought was serving their kids well. Many families have gone on to figure out alternatives that are working well for them, and many families want to do just that, and policy needs to support them doing that. When you began to change things and saw this this problem, how were you received? Well, I've been at this for 35 years, and uh, I have gone head-to-head with the teachers' unions every step of the way. Uh, The teachers' unions are at the top of the pile with preserving and protecting and expanding the status quo. They, with all their allies in in, uh, Washington, D.C., continue to really control uh, K-12 education in America, a 175-year-old system that that, that it was started for an entirely different time. And education itself is the least disrupted industry we have in our country. And parents saw this, families saw this in the last two years, and neighbors and and friends saw it. And so there is a realization that we have got to do something different to provide better opportunities for kids across the country. And they they hit back at you hard. They didn't want any part of you. They didn't want want any part of that reform. And the day that you were hired, I remember you going to visit a school. I think it was in New York. They were protesting the secretary of education. I think to myself, I cannot believe you need security to get into a van to visit a school. Yeah, well, it was actually in Washington, D.C. on my second day in the job. And I was physically barred from the school initially. Now, we eventually got in, and I tell the story in the book, it's a, it's a sad commentary on, uh, on, on people who think that they have, uh, you know, that they have kids' interests at heart. It, they showed themselves 
regularly while continuing. When I was trying to highlight great things happening, they would continually uh, protest and, and have, you know, dozens, if not hundreds, in some cases, of protesters out uh, just attacking me personally. It's not about me. It wasn't about me. It's about protecting a system that's working for adults but isn't working for kids. Former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos, her book is now out, is with us now. The book is now out, Hostages No More, The Fight for Education, Freedom, and the Future of the American Child. So there's a couple of stories I want to bring you to. First, in the LA, in the Los Angeles Unified District, there are training teachers and staff against meritocracy, that merit and individualism are concepts rooted in whiteness and must be challenged in schools. Meritocracy is synonymous with America. So I am stunned by this. Are you? Absolutely. No, I'm not stunned because the L.A. uh, district has, has, again, been focused on their own ideological crusades. They kept kids out of school for nearly two full school years. And these are the kids who can least afford to not be in the classroom and not be learning. Uh, We won't know the devastating effects of those lockdowns for years. But what we do know is that while they're busy trying to fill kids' heads ideologically, kids are not learning to read and write, and it's tragic. Other story on foxnews.com, the National Education Association Teachers Union is proposing a resolution to change mother, which is commonly used in, in school, to birthing parent. Birthing parent. What the hell is that yeah. about? Uh, again, all the ideology that, that, that the system, the, the unions and their allies are trying to force feed to every American family. And at, at the same time, kids can't read. Kids don't know how to do math. Uh, we trail the world, uh, the rest of our peers around the world. We're 37th in math, 18th in science, and 13th in reading. And this was before COVID struck. So what, you know, what, the, what we need to do is have kids focused again on being kids, first of all, and learning how to do the things that they're going to need to have as tools when they grow up into adulthood not focus on all of this ideology. And again, families are fed up. So I want you to hear this. Nicole Neely is if case in point as a parent uh, defending, uh, uh, defending against going against this, uh, defending the lawsuit that they filed against Joe Biden's uh, Department of Education for this whole birthing thing and more. Cut 29. We were very surprised about three weeks ago when the administration announced the creation of the National Parent and Family Council. And we, our first thought was, my gosh, I guess our invitation was lost in the mail. But the more we dug into it with our friends at America First Legal and Fight for Schools, we figured out this is actually a significant violation of the Federal Advisory Committee Act, which has to announce the creation of committees ahead of time, have oversight provisions in place, and be ideologically balanced. And none of these, the, the council meets none of these criteria. And so some, it's illegal. Yeah, and some of the things they're trying to do, cut 31. You know, raises real concerns, obviously, about teachers' unions, showing how far away they are from the concerns of average parents. I mean, this reminds me of what Van Jones said a few weeks ago, that this is not language you hear at the nail salon or, you know, the beauty parlor. These these are very deeply out-of-touch ideologues who are in front of our children. And, you know, it's funny, for this resolution, they actually said they need more money to even advance this internally. And so there's not even buy-in among their members, and the fact that they're going to push this on families is offensive. Right. Uh, the whole birthing person and thing and changing the pronouns 
and having kids, uh, uh, boys who claim to be transsexuals on girls' teams. It's like they're trying to rip apart the fabric. If they're not trying to destroy and denigrate our history, they're trying to dumb down our schools and change it. What's behind yeah. this? Well, it has been a progressive ideology that has been uh, seated in the system, the, the, the K-12 system, for decades. And it's finally coming to, to the fore. People are finally knowing and understanding and realizing what has been what, the march that has been happening. And, and, and thankfully, uh, you know, p- families have awakened and they're not going to stand for it. We're seeing we're seeing in states across the country, uh, you know, actions being taken around demanding transparency on curriculum and transparency on finances and uh, giving families the economic freedom by having the money for their child follow their child to where they want their child to go to school. Um, Arizona being the first state that's about to pass or have Governor Ducey sign into law a education savings account that will allow families to buy their children's education where they find the best fit for their child so they can make choices to get away from this ideology and uh, and to do the things that they actually during covid many of them found solutions that they want to continue so with the how would you characterize your experience with the Trump administration you were almost there the entire time like uh, very few, as we're seeing now, we're seeing everyone run for the exits. What was it like for you? Did you have support of the president, do you feel? Absolutely. The president was very supportive. In fact, it was his championing uh, this notion of education freedom and families making the best decisions for their children was the reason why I joined the administration in the first place. And he was very supportive of uh, education freedom, of family of of young people following multiple alternative pathways beyond high school to be ready for great careers and great futures, not forcing every kid into a four-year college or university, whether that's the right thing for them or not. And he was, he was always very supportive of, uh, of all of those goals. And I had lots of latitude with my team to be able to carry out the agenda. And at the end, you decided to resign after January 6th. Why? Um, it, that day was very difficult watching what was going on. And I, uh, I, I looked at it from the eyes of children who might be watching and thought about the fact that he could have and should have done more to stop what happened at the Capitol. Um, it was a difficult it was a difficult day for me, for, for many people. And I just felt that it, and when he he, uh, um, you know, he, he abandoned his uh, vice president who had been loyally serving for the f- full term, um, uh, it, it was just a bridge too far. Right. Do you have you talked to him since? I have not. Would you? I, I would be happy to, but I haven't sought that out. OK. Uh, former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos, her book is doing exceedingly well. Hostages no more. It's the uh, top three. Top three issues on almost everybody's agenda, and she was right in the eye of the storm. And the fight continues. Uh, Ms. Secretary, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Brian. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, I'll talk about the th- the big news. The Prime Minister of the UK has resigned. 
He still stays in office. What does that mean? Why is Vladimir Putin so happy? We're also going to talk about the fact that our strategic oil reserve, we have found out, Reuters reporting, Reuters reporting that our oil that we saved in case of emergency going to China and India, who is enabling Russia when it should be staying here, I thought. We'll talk about that and the president's 36% approval rating. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. My friends, in politics, no one is remotely indispensable. And our brilliant and Darwinian system will produce another leader equally committed to taking this country forward through tough times. And to that new leader, I say, whoever he or she may be, I say I will give you as much support as I can. And to you the British public. I know that there will be many people who are relieved and uh, perhaps quite a few who will also be disappointed. And I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. I thought he, um, his speech, uh, that was Boris Johnson announcing he's resigning as prime minister, but staying on likely to the fall. Pierce Morgan told us that he thinks that Boris Johnson, who always escapes these type of scandals in the past, thinks that somehow he'll be rescued But, you know, he was part of Brexit. He thought it would be a great move. Him taking over, a lot of charisma, a lot of presence. Theresa May was reluctant to do it, couldn't pass it. He got a lot of it done, so he's on his own now. Wanted to get a trade deal done with Trump, couldn't. Biden doesn't want to. But along the way, he made some huge errors. The first and foremost was the pandemic. First, he said it's no big deal. He gets it. Almost dies because he's so out of shape, perhaps. He ends up recovering from it, locking down his entire country. At the same time, pictures emerge of him having big parties. People walking into 10 Downing Street, their White House, with suitcases full of liquor. Then he says, I'm not at the party. I wasn't partying. I was doing work. I don't know what they were doing downstairs. Then pictures emerge of him sitting there with a drink in his hand, actually at the party. He survives. Bunch of people resign, I think including his brother. And then a bunch of other people resign after he decides to elevate Chris Pincher, a conservative lawmaker. Before he was promoted, the man to a senior position, it turns out uh, it was the last straw. What's about Pincher? He's known to be his sexual harasser. Sexual harasser. 
harassing men in the parliament. So he gives him a great job as administration. He gets caught harassing again. The guy evidently is a drunk alcoholic. Why would Boris Johnson put his own reputation and government on the line? What I care most about is the West United against Vladimir Putin, him doing a great job, first major leader to meet with Zelensky, fresh off when Kiev stopped being, for the most part, bombed, took tremendous courage, took on Putin, was rallying everyone around, charismatic guy, and now he looks in disarray. And you know what, Vlad, what Pierce Morgan said, which was so salient and sad? The person who's happiest today is Vladimir Putin. Because he wants to show the West in chaos, a weak leader in America. Everybody knows what's going on with Joe Biden. Everybody knows his approval rating. Everybody knows his party is turning on him. And they want chaos in Britain. And they got both. They got both. When we come back, what it means and why one of their leaders uh, is predicting that the Ukraine will actually, one Russian leader is predicting Ukraine will actually fall and be swallowed up in whole by Russia sooner or later. I don't see that. We'll find out how Mike Rogers feels about it, the former chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. <laughs> His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Certainly our investigation has is, is gone very much into what happened after the shooting, what Primo's plan was. Uh, investigators did develop some information that it appears when he drove to Madison, he was driving around. However, he did see a celebration that was occurring in Madison, uh, and he seriously contemplated using the firearm he had in his vehicle to commit another shooting um, in Madison. Do you believe this shooter, uh, all the horrific damage he's done, uh, shooting dozens, killing seven, and that number grew to eight, I believe, yesterday in Highland Park on July 4th, he drove to Madison dressed as a woman, evidently did not intend to leave his gun behind, a la uh, his idol, Lee Harvey Oswald. It slipped out of a sheet he was holding. They were able to find out who he was, and he still was able to slip out, get to Madison, Wisconsin, in his mom's car. And decided, since it wasn't well planned, according to reports, to turn around. Now, how did this psycho get a gun? Especially because police were called to his house twice in 2019. One, he was going to kill himself. Number two, he was going to kill family members. So they called the cops. When they arrived, I guess they decided not to press charges. But they did take dozens of knives, including a hatchet and an impaler. Knives out of his house. His dad would end up signing for a gun license for him, knowing his son's violent tendencies and his bizarre behavior on the way he's dressed, his facial tattoo, his neck tattoo, building a bizarre house in the back, a bizarre uh, decal in the back. I mean, this guy is just a walking five alarm fire. And he ended up killing and maiming and torture and, and, by the way, traumatizing an entire town and maybe a country. Mike Rogers, former chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, joins us now. 
Congressman, it was great to talk to you. you got that FBI background, too. What I know, as somebody who doesn't, I don't own a gun, but I assume I would pass a background check. Why would a guy like this, with a documented background like this, pass a background check? Well, it is likely that those police reports didn't make it into the system in the way that they should, number one. Number two, the, the, his custodian or his father at this point went ahead and uh, signed for that permit, which is a huge mistake. And listen, parent, you know, we keep wanting to find people to blame. If you're in that chain of decision making, you are to blame. You can this this father should have known. I mean, they had police at his house because he was going to kill another family member with knives. Uh, and what in God's green earth would allow him to think that he should have a firearm of any sort uh, is beyond me. And so we need to be careful that we don't make these big, broad, sweeping things against everybody that does own a gun. But what we do need to say is for people like his father, hey, that's wrong. And you, as a parent, you have a responsibility for that person getting a firearm like that. You need to make sure, listen, I'd hold the dad accountable as well. He needs to have some he needs to be held accountable for his actions as well as what the uh, the actual shooter who did the did the crime uh, did as well. Or he will, he evidently hired R. Kelly's lawyers, who must not be that good because he's in jail for life. Um, but they hired his, his lawyers to represent him. But he says he's going to walk around town with pride. He did nothing wrong. He wants his son to get the maximum sentence. We'll go to all his hearings. But for the most part, he says he did nothing wrong because... There was no sign that his son told him he was going to use the guns just for target practice to go to the range. To me, is that, I mean, I'm not sure legally how you charge him, but for number one, for being a bad parent, you should, you should pay all these people that you've destroyed their lives and killed their family members. Uh, number two, he, Monday, he was talking to the dad about the Danish shooter in Denmark. And one of his comments, according to his dad, was, well, you know, he ruins it for legal gun owners when a guy opens up firing like that randomly and becomes a mass murderer. Hmm, well, I, I, you know, I'm immediately suspicious of his father's uh, even telling that story candidly, if it actually happened that way. Um, and so, again, the investigation will prove that true or untrue. Uh, and, you know, maybe the dad uh, is... is uh, uh, innocent in, in the way that he claims he is. But just the fact as a parent who had a son that just murdered, slaughtered seven innocent people, traumatized hundreds, you know, wounded, whatever it was now, I think 25, to say that you will walk around proud in town tells me that there's other problems there as well. And as an old investigator, I haven't done it in a while, but as an old investigator, I try to get to the root of that problem as well. Uh, and listen, I don't think the father should go to jail in the same way that the son should go to jail for life. But at least, at least need to send the message to society: you're accountable. You can't allow your children to get guns if they f- exhibit this very behavior. No one would know it better. The police won't know it better. The FBI won't know it better than the parent. And uh, for him to, I don't know, just to say he would walk around proudly. Are you kidding me? Your son just murdered seven people. I, I, I don't know. What, what, what in that sentence doesn't bother you that you would walk around town proudly? When the New York Post asked him what was going on there, he said he wanted to kill his relatives. His dad said, I just looked at it as a childish outburst. Uh, he also dropped out of school in the 10th grade. I guess that wasn't a problem for him. I don't know. You could even do that. He says, quote, they make it seem like I groomed him to do this. He said, I didn't do anything wrong. He said his son should get a long sentence. 
But what he did is get a firearms license for him, but he said he bought the guns on his own. I'm not sure if that's an Illinois law or not, but why does the guy need it? Why does anyone need a sponsor that's of age? Well, I mean, you have to you have to go through a process, and I think Illinois has some some pretty tough tough rules there to, to get it. And I don't know all the state rules, candidly, Brian, but I, I'm going to guess that they he's a minor. In order to purchase it, he needed to have uh, a parent or guardian sign, is what my guess is here. And so, at least that's what they're, I'm hearing on the news. So that would tell you that his father needed to be, or his mother uh, or guardian needed to be engaged in that decision. Uh, for firearm purchase, and it doesn't matter if he paid for them or not. You're the one that signed. <laughs> you're the one that signed the sheet. Said, "Yeah, you can do this." Uh, you know, he could have always waited until he was a of legal age and got it himself. Uh, his father could have used that as an idea of like, "Well, you got to wait till you're 18 or 21, depending on state law." And he didn't do any of those things. And so, again, my whole thing with the father is, I don't, you know, a little remorse would go a long way right now. Uh, to show that gotcha. that uh, you weren't complicit but, in what your son did. Well, let me ask you, just tell me how this goes. Talking with uh, uh, Mike Rogers, FBI background, former chairman of the House uh, Permanent Select Committee. Congressman, tell me how it goes. So you, I know this is rudimentary, uh, doing something a police officer would do, and you didn't do that. But you come to my house, uh, and because I got called, the, a cop comes to the house because he got called there. as a family member who feels threatened or suicide. Uh, tw- the earlier call in 2019 was for suicide. Now, they decide not to press charges, and they say, well, we got our son under control. We think, you know, we, we think we, got, we can handle it from here. Do you write that incident up if they don't want to press charges, either one of them? Well, wouldn't you think you're compelled okay, to, and wouldn't that appear in my background check? Well, he should, except he's a minor. And so there's special protections for minors. I think he's 18. Something we're gonna, and this is why there becomes, in my mind, a greater burden on the parent, the father, to make better decisions in this process. Um, that's what's concerning. Remember the, the, the shooting in Michigan had a really very similar uh, kind of profile here. You know, the child exhibited the, a lot of the similar kinds of things, wanted to get a handgun. His parents helped him, bought, it, bought, bought him this handgun for his birthday, I think. Uh, and then he went off to go into the school and kill people with that handgun. It's the same kind of process. And the issue with law enforcement is we can't ask them to do something that policymakers haven't given them the ability to do. So you can't blame them. Right. If it's a minor, there are special procedures. I think he's 18, procedures. Mike. I think he was 18. Yeah, but, it, but not a, not he is now, but not at the time. No, he's 21 now, 22. So I'm yeah. pretty but sure the, at the time of the incidents in his family, he was considered a minor is my understanding. I mean, so I now this federal wrong. law says you can you could bring a you can look into a minor's record prior to 18. That's absolutely necessary. No, and you should. And, 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 and I think you want to call the school too. System together. Yeah, we have to get our system together. Like, don't blame the. I mean, listen, I'm sure the police have don't have a lot of options when they show up at the house. Nobody wants to press charges. The parents are there. Says, no, we got it under control. Uh, you know, you don't want we there needs to be discretion in every single case. But you're also counting on the fact that parents are going to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And so that to me, that would be the difficult case it, the way I hear it. And again, I right. don't know all the facts, but the way I hear it, that's to me is where I'd come down on this. And I put a little, you know, listen, that, that dad needs, has a lot more explaining to do about why he thought that that person could handle a firearm at, at any age, candidly. So, and so, yes, our background checks, we need to be able to look into 
to juvenile behavior when it comes to violence. But what you don't want to do, and this is important, you don't want to pull a sheet over some kid that made a really dumb decision when he was 15 years old that, uh, you know, that he should be punished for. I'm not saying he shouldn't. But then when he's 25, 26, or 30, or 35, pull that out and go, oh, look what you did. You don't, you can't have a job. You can't do X. You can't do Y. And I think that's why some of these these firewalls were in place. We we have technology now, though, Brian, that would help law the law enforcement community be able to see that behavior make a judgment on that behavior as it comes to things like buying a firearm or something dangerous. All right, let's talk about the world have, stage. We don't have let's, it all wrapped together. Yeah, let's see what happens. Let's go to the world stage now. The G20 is taking place in, I think, Indonesia. We're, we're going to have Secretary Blinken, the foreign minister of China, and Lavrov of Russia. Russia's already made it very clear. They're being very provocative, saying essentially, don't be surprised if we try to take back Russia that you took from us in 1867, which we bought legally. Uh, they say America should not be so concerned about our borders when you took, uh, uh, you expanded against the American Indian population, what was that, 200 years ago. So he brings all that up. Uh, Medvedev, uh, not, this is not Vladimir Putin, this is Medvedev, the former uh, president, and then other officials. So they're being very belligerent on the world stage, warning us. What's your take on this? Uh, flailing. I mean, they have had, what are they going to, how are they going to take Alaska? With what? About 70% of their troops uh, are uh, committed to the, the Ukraine war, that they, their invasion. Uh, and they are performing pretty poorly. Now, they are doing better because they've concentrated forces, and you know, there's a whole series of things that they did to try to perform better, and they are doing that. And you and I talked about that. Once they ever got their act together, they could cause a lot of harm and destruction across Ukraine. That's exactly what they're doing. They couldn't duplicate that even in Alaska. That, that fight wouldn't last 12 minutes uh, the way they performed uh, in Ukraine, and, and some of their top-line units went into the Ukraine. So uh, I, I, I think it's just flailing. I think they're trying to let the world know. I mean, this is an impetus teenager that uh, got caught doing something wrong and is now pointing the finger and saying, yeah, but, you know, uh, you know, we'll, we'll look at you. And so I don't think there's a lot of teeth to any of this, uh, but you do have to be careful. I mean, this guy has two, two sets of uh, nuclear arsenals. One is the strategic, the big ICBM missiles that fire off and take out entire cities. He also has tactical nukes, of which Putin has often said and referred to. He thinks of those as tools, like a tank or a artillery piece, and that's not like a strategic nuclear weapon. Meaning, he thinks he can use those in combat to either deny, uh, you know, just normally would be used to deny access for certain areas on a battlefield. And so he has all of those capabilities, uh, but he doesn't have a great uh, "I'm taking back Alaska" capability at all. Uh, and, you know, he also wants us to react every time we have to react, if we have to move troops to Alaska or do anything like that, costs a ton of money, and he knows that. So I, I don't know. I think he's flailing. Uh, he's, again, not doing well, but we're, we are not bringing this, the Ukraine fight to a rapid conclusion. We keep dribbing and grabbing stuff in to help the Ukrainians uh, fight the Russians. Right. Uh, and so we're get it in quick. we got to get it in quicker, right? All this stuff yeah, quicker. Completely. Get it while they need it. Remember in the beginning, Brian, when he said, oh, we're doing all that we can. We've done everything that we can. Really, we just now sent in artillery, uh, uh, those uh, HIMAR missiles. That, they're about 45. You know, they would be like a, a long-range artillery shell, basically. 
Um, we just sent those in. Well, if you did everything you did six, you know, three months ago, why didn't you send those? Those would have been completely devastating to right. what what big armored units and artillery units that were just wildly exposed by the Russians due to incompetence, candidly, would have been a devastating effect to the Russians. We just now got them in, right? We got put four in. We're going to put another four in in about three months. And some of this training, I get that, but this could have all been done earlier. Absolutely. Uh, and if we keep driven, driving, guess what we're going to get? We're going to get a long, sustained, violent, high civilian but, casualty event. I got a couple more questions. Um, Mike Rogers with us. Mike, first off, the, when the president keeps coming out and saying, believe Vladimir Putin's price hike, Vladimir Putin for inflation, Vladimir Putin is starving the world, but he is lifting up Vladimir Putin's profile for his own people, lengthening the war and the amount of damage he's done. He is making this guy bigger than life. Doesn't he understand it's counterproductive? Wasn't he once chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee? Doesn't he understand how this plays? And by the way, domestically, nobody's buying it. Uh, I think this this is the Hail Mary pass for President Biden. He, his policies have been atrocious. He's done this mix of kind of the you know, uh, AOC wing of the Democrat Party, and he's, he's really never governed uh, like a centrist as he, he claims he has. Uh, he hasn't done any of that. Uh, and he was you know, wrong on economic policy, was wrong on energy policy. This all happened before Putin got in. You know, you, you, you have $10 in your pocket and the federal government dumps a whole bunch of more money in the pot. Guess what? That $10 isn't worth $10 anymore. We're all finding out that hard economic lesson. Uh, thanks. To, and by the way, he wants this. His solution is, well, maybe I'll put more money in the top of the bill. I mean, it won't work. It's caused uh, high gas, uh, not only high gas prices, but high food prices. And his energy policy, he canceled the, the Keystone Pipeline, and yet he approved the, the pipeline from Russia to Germany in the beginning. They, they are, and they do this because they're this, this kind of dangerous climate change virtue signaling that doesn't align what your objectives are, which would be, okay, a cleaner, cleaner, less carbon burning environment. Okay, who's not for that? But gotcha. there's a way to do that, and then there's a way to just absolutely punish the American people uh, to the expense of very he is. few. Mike, I'm going to have to uh, leave it there. That's what he's done. Yeah, yeah he's awesome. former chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, FBI guy Mike Rogers. Thanks so much. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There is this sense that things are kind of out of control and he's not in command. No one president could control inflation, but it is a, a, you know, it's a gale force wind right now. It's affecting politics. Very hard to come, you know, you you heard him on gas prices today. Talks about the gas tax holiday, but he's not going to get the gas tax holiday. And there are a lot of Americans who are skeptical about whether that would uh, that would help. Uh, so, there, you know, this is a very, very freighted, uh, fraught environment for him right now. No kidding. That is David Axelrod, who I think has been very fair with Joe Biden, gave him a second chance when he talks about him, when he meanders and doesn't seem clear. He, To me, my opinion only, I don't think he's ever been that big a fan. And when he became president, he said, well, it beats Donald Trump, but I'm going to call like I see it. And I think that he cannot pretend that things are going well right now. And he can't look around and see Rahm Emanuel, who's very competent, 
Uh, you know, Eric Holder, who I thought was terrible, but he was competent. I see Merrick Garland in over his head, a secretary of, of, of state that makes me feel anything but assured, a secretary of defense who's a robot, not even pushing back against uh, vaccine mandates. And I think that you have a president who has no answers to the biggest questions that matter most that affect all of us, except blame Trump. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much uh, for being with us all week long, especially kind of a holiday week where so many have decided I'm going to extend my week. I'll maybe take this week off. A lot of you are listening, and I appreciate it. Nick Calio joins us at the bottom of the hour. He's an airline expert, Airlines for America president and CEO. We want to get to the bottom line on why all of our flights are canceled or delayed. Almost everywhere I go, it's happening. Every airline. You have, First, you want to blame this one. Then you want to blame that one. Then you realize it's all of them. What happened? You have Bernie Sanders comes out and says, we gave $50 billion to the airline industry. What happened? Well, what's the answer? Instead of saying they're bad people, bad pilots, bad management, where are the people? Where are the flight attendants? Where are the pilots? Where are the planes? We'll find out. I want to get the facts. Mark Thiessen will be with us in a matter of moments, too. Former Chief Speechwriter for Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. There's a lot going on now uh, at home and abroad. In case you do not know, a few hours ago, the prime minister of the U.K. resigned in disgrace, Boris Johnson. The only person who doesn't know he's disgraced is Boris Johnson. He came out and just gave himself credit for all he accomplished. And he said the herd mentality herded him right out. Not really. Uh, You didn't tell the truth a lot. I'm not going to bring inside British politics, but the one person that benefits from this is uh, one of the most evil men on the planet, Vladimir Putin. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It appears when he drove to Madison, he was driving around. However, he did see a celebration that was occurring in Madison, uh, and he seriously contemplated using the firearm he had in his vehicle to commit another shooting. Do you believe this? Highland Massacre could have been worse. Did you just heard the shooter was going to Madison, got there, decided he didn't plan well enough, came back, was arrested. Also, the gun slipped out of the sheet he was carrying it in. Imagine if it didn't, we'd still be looking for him. Number two. Everything Biden does is permeated by this, you know, leftist climate change Green New Deal. And he really believes that this uh, high price of oil will be mitigated with the use of renewables. Larry Kudlow, outrageous. Reuters reports our strategic oil reserve is going to China and India, who's aiding and abetting Russia. It's America's great crude oil and our energy and our security, and it's going out to our enemies. Is there any explanation that would work for this? Number one. The guy it took is a little fraud. I mean, look, he sided with the Biden administration killing the energy industry in Ohio in the name of green energy. I'm not surprised that he's politically smart enough to know that he has to run from Joe Biden. Yeah, that is J.D. Vance. Insult to injured. Two Dems, including Tim Ryan, looking for statewide office in Ohio, skip President Biden's speech in Cleveland. Underlying the president's weakness and the foundation starts cracking beneath his feet. However, the Republicans don't have a clear path to power either. I'll explain. Uh, with me right now is Mark Thiessen. Mark, I'll start with the last sentence. Uh, the Democrats are stronger than Joe Biden. Would you say that? And I think that even though the House 
is about an 85% chance of going Republican. The Senate is going to be a dogfight. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think it's almost inevitable that the House will turn. And to some extent, that's all we need, because the what we need to do is stop the Democrats from being able to pass Democrats only reconciliation bills. And if we control one house, uh, then that's over. The Senate uh, comes down to about five races uh, that are toss ups. And two of the two of those are Pennsylvania and Georgia. And of course, you've got, you know, we we've we've we pick the weak. Uh, we pick weak candidates in both of those races. You got uh, Mehmet Oz, who is trailing. Uh, he's not been ahead in a single poll, and is trailing a candidate who's had a stroke and hasn't been appeared on the campaign trail in months. Um, and in Georgia, there's a new Quinnipiac poll shows that Herschel Walker's at ten points behind. Uh, I don't know if that's true. That may be an outlier. Uh, but if we if we give away two winnable races, then yeah, we could lose. Uh, Republicans could not fail to take back the Senate. The good news is, is that if they fail to take it back now, then they're probably going to take it back in, in 2024, because the field in 2024 is incredibly tilted towards the Republicans. Uh, Republicans are only defending 10 seats. Democrats are defending, I think, 23. And not one of the Republican seats uh, that they're defending is in a state uh, that, that, uh, that Biden won. Uh, the closest is Florida, which Trump won by five points. Uh, so if they don't take it now, they're going to take it in, uh, in in 2024 and possibly the White House. And so I don't understand why the Democrats want to get rid of the filibuster, because <laughs> within two and a half years, they're going to uh, they could be completely out of uh, out of power in both houses of Congress and the White House. You're going to have so many of Arab's expertise, but one is domestic policy, others foreign policy. Joe Biden mixed mm-hmm. both. And I need, think we need to take this on. Not enough people are. First off, President Biden, every time he elevates Vladimir Putin and blames him for stuff like the oil, the price of gas and oil, and now inflation, he inflates his importance on the world stage, which helps him domestically and makes the violence last longer uh, with greater duration. Here is uh, uh, President Biden, cut four. We got a long way to go because of inflation, because of the, I call it the Putin tax increase. Putin because of gasoline and all that grain he's keeping from being able to get to the market. Now I'm fighting like hell to lower costs on things that you talk about around your kitchen table. So it makes no sense. Uh, now Putin's yeah. responsible for inflation. First off, no, as he also goes on to say that Vladimir Putin's responsible, which is true for the for the grain not getting out of the Ukraine, as if we're not re- as if we can't fix that. Get our navy in there and escort it out. That's a, that's a world issue. A hundred percent. I mean, look, number one, uh, the the uh, it's just factually incorrect that this is a Putin price hike because we had 40 year high inflation uh, in the fall of 2021, long before the invasion of, of, of Ukraine. Uh, Biden had broken uh, the wreck 30 year high year over year increase in gas prices in October of 2021, long before the invasion of Ukraine. The war in Ukraine has added to the problem and has increased uh, prices somewhat. But it all ha- we hit we broke the records before long before uh, Ukraine. And Joe Biden, who, you know, the, the one thing he's doing right though not doing it very well, but doing right is supporting the Ukrainians in their fight against against Putin. If he wants to undermine public support for the war in Ukraine, the best way to do it is to say the war in Ukraine is I the know. reason why you're paying so much more on gas. The reason the war in Ukraine is the reason why inflation is going up. So one, it's not true. 
But two, it's undermining public support for the one thing he's doing right as president. I mean, it's just it's so people are going to say, oh, so why are you why are you supporting the war in Ukraine then? You know, if, if, if that's causing us so much money. So he's he's I mean, the incompetence, the political incompetence on top of the policy incompetence is just stunning. I know they don't have a Karl Rove or an Axelrod in there to say, Mr. President, there's a downside to what you're saying. And also it yeah. gives Vladimir Putin a chance to make a speech to Moscow and said, look at what the president of the United States is giving us credit for. We are giving him credit for destroying Western culture. They have each other's throats. Kids, people can't afford to go to go on vacation all because of us. And that's how much power we have. So I want you to hear what Pierce Morgan said about the news that Prime Minister Boris Johnson is now resigning. Listen. One person loving all this chaos, both in the U.K. and the U.S., and all the uncertainty is Vladimir Putin. Yep. This all plays right into his hands. This is what he wants to see. Countries that should be united to try and stop his rampage through Ukraine actually splintering into complete chaos and a, a, a vacuum of leadership. Am I right? Is he right? I think he's 100% right. Yeah, you know, it's sure. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, we're, we're going to if I could get rid of uh, if, if we get out of had a parliamentary system, I can get rid of Joe Biden tomorrow. I'd do it. <laughs> Right. So on one hand, yes. On the other hand, no. I mean, look, the the problem we have is that Biden is 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 not is the war in Ukraine is dragging on because Biden is not flooding the zone. Right. We the, the Ukrainians are running out of artillery. We're not providing it fast enough. They're not being able to fire back at the Russians They're not being able to drive them back. What we've got is that we're helping them fight to a to a standstill. We need to help them win. The faster we help them win, the faster the war in Ukraine ends, the faster the quote-unquote Putin price hike goes away. And, and so, so Biden should be trying to flood the zone and do more and get this thing finished, give them enough weapons so that they can defeat the Russians. And, and he's not doing that. And the other thing, Brian, just going back to this inflation point, what Biden doesn't want to acknowledge, but which is absolutely true, is that the reason we have inflation is because of the American Rescue Plan. He he poured one point nine trillion dollars into an economy that was already recovering because he wanted to claim credit for the for the economic recovery. And instead, he stymied it. The, the, the Wall Street Journal reported this week that that because of the American Rescue Plan, Americans had two point seven trillion dollars at the end of 2021 in excess savings, meaning savings beyond what they would have had had there been no pandemic. That's the reason why people are not going back to work. It's all the free government money. And they, they, the stimulus checks stopped at the end of last year. So you would think that people would start spending their savings and eventually start coming back to work. We wouldn't have this historic labor shortage. It turns out the Wall Street Journal reports we, they've only, Americans have only spent $114 billion of that. So they have $1.87 trillion left in excess savings. Until that money gets spent out that the, that the Biden administration gave people, people aren't going to go back to work. And so businesses can't find workers. And if businesses can't find workers when demand is skyrocketing, that's why you have the problem with the planes. You're about to have Nick Calio on. The reason why they don't have they don't have the workers to man the flights. Why don't they have the, they, they're they're willing to spend money, they're willing to pay them, but people aren't working because they've got all this government money in their bank accounts. They don't need to work. They can stay on the sidelines. And so until that the, the damage is done, there's no way you can fix it until until they they, they spend out those savings. Um, and 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 that's the reason. It's not it has nothing to do with Vladimir Putin. It has to do with the American Rescue Plan.
All right, that, that's, a, that's a great point. And the American Rescue Plan was, this is how, how clueless and how much he disagrees. He went to Cleveland predominantly say, look at me. I gave you the American Rescue Plan, Ohio. No one showed up to. I to inflation. And by the way, no one's bringing up the fact that the Intel plant that was supposed to bring chip manufacturing back to America is now on hold. They say, I'm not convinced I'm going to get the congressional support. Really? So now they're not building the plant that he was been heralding of bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. and away from China and Taiwan. Speaking of this, the story that Reuters has, that a strategic oil reserve is being poured out and it's going on the world market into the coffers of China, into the country of China and into India, who should be sanctioned right now, secondary sanctions, because of what they're doing to, to bolster Russia by buying their oil. How unacceptable is that, Mark Thiessen? It's, it's absurd. The idea that you would release the strategic petroleum reserve and instead of get, using it here at home, sell it to other countries abroad. It's just it's just absolutely mind-boggling. And here's the thing that drives me crazy. Again, you know, the incompetence of, the, of, of this administration. They say that they don't want to unleash domestic production because, you know, that that's not going to – it's a global price of oil, and that's not going to reduce – uh, or gas prices. So we, we can't do more drilling. We can't do more domestic production because we, we need to, to, to stop fossil fuels and tra- have this great transition. Well, if, if more domestic production won't lo- lower the price of gas, then how does releasing the strategic petroleum reserve do it? It's of the course. same thing. It's just, it's just one is producing more, producing more. The other is releasing from a, from a, from a, from a reserve you have. It's the same idea. You put more gas into the market, and, and, and that lowers prices. So their, their arguments are incompetent. If, 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 if releasing the strategic petroleum reserve is a smart thing that he's taking credit for for trying to reduce gas prices, how about you know, not banning, which he just did, all further offshore drilling in the Atlantic and the Pacific? It's <laughs> about- insane. It's anti-American. It's, it's, it is. And with you, you factor in the border. You wonder how much more he can do to destroy our country. These aren't bad policies. They're, they're evil policies. Lastly, I want to try to squeeze this in. Uh, Gavin Newsom doing something interesting, taking out an ad in Florida, kind of baiting Governor DeSantis to act uh, to go after him. We know he took out an account on Trump's social and is kind of sparring with Republicans, but he can't help himself. Then it turns out he's in Montana, a place where he told everybody state workers are not allowed to go. Because of their stance on women's sports, he believed they believe only women should play women's sports when it comes to high school and college, not transsexuals. And guess where he is? Montana. You factor in the hypocrisy of not wearing a mask at the Laker game in the luxury box with all those celebrities, the French laundry appearance, his kids going to private school. How is he, in a recent poll I saw, actually beating Trump and beating DeSantis? You know what? I, the, one of the things about polls like that is they ask people if the election were held today, who would you vote for? And most people respond, if the election were held today, I'd be very surprised. The election right. is in 2024. So none of this matters, right? The, the reality is if you want to see how people are voting, look at them voting with their feet. People are fleeing California. They're fleeing, and where are they fleeing to? They're, the people are fleeing to, to, to places like Florida. 
the 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 number of people moving into Florida because it's because it's like jumping over the Berlin Wall into a, into a land of freedom. Uh, it's it, the the they're because of low taxes. Uh, you know, they opened up before uh, before uh, the st- their state before almost anybody else. They're thriving. Everybody's moving to Florida. Everybody's leaving California. So if you want to you want a referendum on their policies as governor, uh, I would put DeSantis up against Gavin Newsom any any day of the week. Right. Uh, what what's he up to? Well, why is he doing this now? Why is he doing this now with a sitting because Democratic he, Because president? he wants to run for president, because he thinks Joe Biden is so weak uh, that he won't be able to run in 2024, and the jockeying has already begun. And Gavin Newsom thinks that he's done such a great job in California, he wants to turn America into California. And that's what American voters want. <laughs> I guess he's, if, if he's that <laughs> clueless, uh, I, say, I hope you're wrong. Uh, Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Take care. Always great. Uh, listen, Brittany, uh, Br- uh, Brittany Griner uh, was just in a Russian court and pled guilty to the drug charges. Not sure what that means about her release. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. Boris Johnson doesn't play by the normal rules. You know, he's, many people think he's the kind of Donald Trump of the UK. He just basically thinks rules are for other people. And I think he, you know, that all politicians crave power. And he, at the moment, remains prime minister. And I think that he thinks the process is so slow, it can buy him time to potentially try and do something which will keep him in office. I don't think anybody else shares that view other than Boris Johnson. And there's a rising tide of anger from Conservative members of Parliament today that think that this is ridiculous and he should go immediately. My gut feeling is he will have to go very soon. Okay, a couple of things. He's 100% right. And I I just think how Boris Johnson relates to the West, we we need a reliable friend. I mean, Tony Blair was a real good friend. David Cameron was a friend to Democratic presidents, like, for example... Barack Obama, because he was against Brexit, and he, he said, Obama, uh, do not do a free trade deal with the U.K. now that we're out. And he said he wouldn't. You go to the back of the queue if you vote for Brexit. Remember that. But Boris Johnson is a guy with a little bit of a charisma, certainly a presence, and not afraid on the world stage, got good instincts. But this is a conservatives who rise in the U.K., which I think helps our country. But here's the worst thing. Everything he did was inconsequential idiocy, lack of discipline. I mean, much like uh, his hair. His thing is he doesn't comb it. For him, if you're in the middle of a pandemic and you lock down your country and you have one get-together that maybe they surprise party for you you didn't know about, maybe looks bad, but you have repeated events where people sneak in alcohol and you have these parties, think you're going to be able to pull it off, then you hire a sexual harasser and he harasses again, and then you wonder why you pay a political price and you have price and you have 50 ministers resign. Didn't have to be this way. Vladimir Putin loves it, loves the chaos. We come back, talk about chaos. That's the airline industry. Why? Nick Calio tells us. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So we've seen a number of different overlapping issues. Some of it has to do with staffing. Uh, A lot of uh, pilots uh, were invited to take 
early retirement. Uh, air crews weren't brought back at the level that we need. When you look at our air traffic control system, for example, that is not explaining the majority of cancellations and delays. So that is the Secretary of Transportation, uh, who then used his Twitter account to tell everybody, don't just accept, ca- uh, don't accept points when they cancel or reschedule your flight. Demand cash. That's the advice we get from Secretary of Transportation instead of solving the problem. Nick Calio, uh, he's uh, Airlines for American president and CEO, joins us now. Nick, I think your industry is everyone befuddled and angry. What happened? Well, a lot of things happened, Brian. First of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, we've had a confluence of uh, bad weather in the wrong places over two holidays, uh, a surge in demand that came back faster than we expected, uh, and we have been in the process of trying to hire people, pilots, flight attendants, uh, customer service agents, gate agents, uh, machinists, for some time now. And, you know, I, I guess I would say, too, that not everybody is angry. There's been a lot of press on it, and certainly there have been different difficulties and problems. We've all seen it. It's on the news every night. We're a very high-profile industry. But there are 40,000 flights every day, as many as 5,000 flights in the air at any given time, the vast majority of which go off seamlessly. And that is our goal every single day, to give a customer service that allows people to get to where they want to go, whether it be for business or for pleasure. Right. I mean, the numbers are astounding. So far in 2022, an average of one of every five flights a day arrived behind schedule. A total of more than 20,000 delayed flights, according to FlightAware, and 116,000 flights have been canceled. Me personally, I've never had – I travel a lot. I never had it happen before where they just go, your flight's canceled. And you think there's no reason. Uh, there's not, hey, sorry, we have, we're down a crew member. No, that's just canceled. Why did you make it in the first place? But a lot of people – I've never seen more people – more disillusioned by any one industry. And the question is, if all the money came to the airlines uh, to keep uh, 700,000 people employed, why aren't they running as smooth as they were before the pandemic hit? It's, uh, th- there's no simple answer for that, but I will give you an answer that uh, is true and factually based. Um, the reason, uh, first of all, the money that was provided the airlines, we acted as a non-employment agency for the federal government. We passed it right through to our employees. The money that was given to us covered only about 65% of the cost of keeping those employees on. And you need a little context. If you go back two years, we were bleeding billions and billions of dollars of cash every month. So we were able to keep some people on. But then we had to take self-help measures because we didn't know when flying would come back. We were flying 96% less people than we were prior to the pandemic when it hit. That happened within a month. So either the companies were going to go bankrupt like they did after 9-11, or we had to take drastic measures to to give people – early retirement, voluntary leaves, and all that. You know, if the PSP hadn't happened, you wouldn't be flying this summer, plain and simple. That's what people need to keep their eye on. So were the airlines losing money before the pandemic? Is that what you said, or I misunderstand you? No, we were... We had 10 years in a row of profitability, okay. and we were, you know, we were making record profits, um, and you know, things were going great. We had, at the time, the week before the pandemic really hit, uh, there was an investment conference up in New York with a lot of our airlines, and there was a recognition that we had so-called fortress balance sheets designed to withstand an event like 9-11, three and a half times you know, as bad as 9-11. That all went out the window in three weeks. So a couple of things, just a fact and fiction, uh, that the airlines mandated these all the pilots get vaccinated and flight attendants get vaccinated and a lot just bailed out. 
Is that is that um, true? That, that that's fiction. I, I don't think there's any material number of people who did that. But, but but I know United mandated vaccinations for pilots, correct? Correct. Did you guys have and incentive? It, okay, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, Brian, um, United did do that. Some others did it as well. Um, and the expectation, there were, there were predictions um, that people would quit their job because they had to get vaccinated. Frankly, they're really good jobs, and the numbers were very small, if any, as okay. it turned out. So what about whatever happened to the flight attendants? I heard you're running out of flight attendants. Um, the flight attendant numbers are in pretty good shape. I think. Um, But we are hiring more. We're bringing people back as quickly as we can. You know, the problem with the airline industry, we're having the same kind of problems that every other industry in this country is having. The bigger problem for an airline is because we are so focused on safety and security, all of our employees have to be trained and certified. And what we've been finding in some cases over the last few months, Brian, is we're bringing people back. We're getting them trained, close to certified, and then they decide they don't want the job. And again, that's like every other industry in the country. Uh, the pandemic has, you know, wrought some very big changes in our employment market. And they decide they don't want the job. So because it, it was just brutal because people are the people's behavior. Is that what flight attendants are feeling for the most part? If you talk to their unions, that they don't like the behavior or the treatment. What is the reason? Because this used to be a coveted position. No one ever seemed to relinquish it once they got it. It still is a coveted position, and we haven't seen any mass migration of flight attendants leaving their jobs. There was a time when, because of the masks and other reasons, where there was a lot of bad behavior on airplanes, and they they are the first responders. They're right in the line, and they do it admirably. They're part of the backbone of the industry, just like our pilots are and all our other employees. So pilots retiring, is that correct? You're short of pilots. Our mainline carriers, A4A members, are not uh, having a pilot supply supply problem. Uh, We have enough pilots. We're uh, hiring furiously. We're training. Many of our members have started their own flight academies. It takes a long time to become a pilot. It's very expensive. Um, That's why we think that pilots in training ought to be like doctors in training or accountants in training, be able to get federal student loans. It costs $200,000. Where there is a problem, quite candidly, is for the regional carriers, the smaller carriers, because that's our main source of hiring. And they, in some cases, have had to pull down flights and stop service to communities because they do not have enough pilots. So I saw, was it uh, Delta that was on strike last week? Um, they, weren't, they weren't striking. They were protesting. Okay. Um, are they underpaid? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think so. Um, these are good being a pilot is a well-paid job. Uh, does everybody always want more money? Yes. And that's what the protests were about. So uh, I'm talking and right now. negotiations with Nick, going on at a number of airlines. I'm talking now with Nick Callio, the president and CEO of Airlines for America. So, Nick, so the flight attendants, the, the ranks are pretty much okay. You believe the so far the pilots, the numbers are okay, except for some regional airlines. You believe that the airline workers, we're having trouble staffing there. Is that correct? Uh, We're hiring as fast as we can, uh, and we want to go faster. Right. So when these delays start mounting up to the unprecedented, the worst ever, what do you, what do, is the quick answer or the longer answer on why this is happening? And when do you think things will go back to normal? 
that's a good question. Um, we've learned one thing throughout the pandemic. You can plan, but you can't forecast. And so we've planned. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for cancellations. There's shared responsibilities across. Um, there are staffing shortages um, in the federal government, just as there are in, in, in our industry. And we're working our way through those as quickly as we can. But there's no easy answer because, again, it gets back to the training and certification issue. It takes time to get people trained and on board. You can't snap your fingers and do it. In terms of air traffic controllers, because of COVID, they had to shut down the, the training academy for two years. That really dried up the pipeline, and they're doing everything they can. The FAA is doing everything it can to get people on board. We're all working collaboratively together to try to figure out ways to hire faster, train faster, and more efficiently because that's what we need to do. Um, and it's going to take some time. And do you think by the end of the summer? I would hope by the end of the summer, but I can't predict that. You know, we've taken down, our members have t- pulled down a number of flights, about 15% of the flights they had originally planned to fly uh, to make sure that there would be fewer, you know, fewer cancellations and disruptions uh, because of unavailability. The other thing would, uh, I think a lot of people would like to know with all these flight delays and with the flight cancellations, on top of that, you're paying more for jet fuel. So, which means the prices have to go up because you can't lose money with every flight. So, how does that factor into this? Uh, it's it, the price increase in oil is is a big factor, and you know we are going to moderate the prices to the degree that we can. Although the rise in prices uh, is still. Um, We'll put it this way. Demand is still high, which tells you something about the price, and we will have to factor in all of our costs. Our two greatest costs are fuel and labor, and both of those costs are going up. All right. And have any tips for people listening right now from the, from the passenger perspective? How do we yes. know if the flight we're booking has a shot at getting off on time since it seems so random with the cancellations? My greatest recommendation would be the airlines have made vast improvements in the technology available to customers. It's one of our greatest ways of communicating. So if you have, um, take name any airline, if you have their app on your phone, you will get messages saying your flight is at gate so-and-so, it's scheduled to go off on time. You'll get another notice if it's delayed. If it's canceled, it'll allow you to rebook online rather than trying to call a customer service agent. That's the number one thing you can do. Get, get to the airport early get your airlines app and keep checking because the information is all there for you um, and even other than notifications from the airline itself all you have to do is click on the app look at the different buttons and check your choices and find out what your flight status is where your bags are all those kinds of good things it's um you know for a technologically challenged person like me it's not initially easy uh, but it, if i can do it almost anybody can do it so do you think they know more than the gate agents the the app believe your app over the gate agent believe your app over somebody at the airport that's that's a very good question but i would check i think it's easier than stand queuing in line to ask the gate agent uh what the delay is for uh, i think my hope would be that there's a lot of communication uh from the gate agents or the pilots or the flight attendants to the customers so that they don't have to ask and finally nick uh when it comes to all this uh, on the ultimate passenger uh, advice. Is it true that you guys are told the people who pay more for ticket, the first class business class are treated better given first options. So if there is money in the cookie jar 
to get that upper, that first class or business class ticket and you're worried about cancellations and rescheduling, is it true first and business are prioritized? Um, I can't really answer that. I do know that if you're a frequent flyer um, and a loyal customer for a particular airline, you usually do get priority. So that would help getting rescheduled. Uh, Nick Calio, yeah. uh, and by the way, is the Secretary of Transportation not doing something you want him to do? Is Washington not doing something you've been asking them to do? No, we work very closely at them. It's all about collaboration, coordination. We do it with the FAA. We do it with DOT. We do it with the Transportation Security Administration. It's a daily thing to try to figure out where the demand is going to be and where the numbers are going to be and, how, therefore, moving staffing around, if need be, to cover the demand at any particular time. Air traffic controllers, I heard that there was no training going on during the break, during the two-year pandemic, and, therefore, you're short. I think they are hiring as fast as they can, and there is we need more air traffic controllers. And, you know, that, I, I know you know this, Brian, that training is very extensive. Uh, you do your training, then you have to get on-the-job training, and to get at one of the busier centers, it can take years to do so. How short because, are you? Yeah, do you know? Um, I don't have a number on that. Um, we can certainly use more. Uh, that way, if people um, get sick, or something you can have that you have the staff to cover. Um, Got it. Nick Calio, thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right. Take care. Number one story uh, for consumers of all ages and customers of all ages, of all backgrounds, uh, of all genders, all pronouns. What happened to my flight? Why was it canceled? Why was it delayed? Why did mine come off and why not yours? What could I have done different? The answer is it's going to take a while. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll be back with your calls in just a moment. And uh, this is, don't move. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The guy is a total fraud. I mean, look, he decided to side with illegal aliens over his own citizens who were being killed in record numbers by fentanyl overdoses. He sided with the Biden administration killing the energy industry in Ohio in the name of green energy, which, of course, has just shipped a ton of manufacturing jobs and a ton of prosperity off to China. He sided with the Biden administration 100 percent of the time on policies that made our streets less safe, that defunded American police departments, and that made us all poorer through the ridiculous inflation we're experiencing. I'm not surprised that he's politically smart enough to know that he has to run from Joe Biden. I'm a little surprised at the shamelessness of it all, that the guy campaigned for Joe Biden, supported every single one of his policies and pretends now on his TV commercials that he's never heard of him. Which is really weird. J.D. Vance trying to replace Rob Portman in Ohio. WHIO listeners know all about this. And at the same time, he says Tim Ryan, who at first when he came in to Congress, I thought he was going to be a moderate. He went on, took on Nancy Pelosi. Then he had no interest in doing it. He's he's losing his temper on the floor all the time, condemning uh, going to the left on guns and things to that nature. And now that he got the nomination, congratulations to him. Now he also ran for president. It was a hideous failure. But then he comes forward and he says, I've got no use for Joe Biden. He sounds more like a conservative. But he expects people to avoid and actually not bring up his voting record. I actually think it's kind of rude. 
I mean, how much would it hurt Joe Biden to show up or him to show up one day just for Joe Biden? Always appreciate the president. Numbers aren't great right now. I voted with him a few times, but got to run. But instead, he made it a big story by not showing up. The governor nominee did makes it a big story by not showing up. He goes to Cleveland. Could have been a brief introduction. Waves from the audience. Great to see you. Got to run. That's it. Evidently, Joe Biden says that's his base, the union base. I think that that would help him in Ohio, but maybe he knows better. The problem is when people see inauthenticity, that's what bothers them. So if you want to say, you know, I voted very liberal, but I understand if I'm going to be a senator, I will change my pattern because I got to vote more moderate because that's more reflective of a red state in Ohio. I think people would buy that better, but that's just me. Uh, Also, when it comes to campaigning, there's two things that were brought up that I necessarily agree with uh, a part of it. They say in Pennsylvania, if you want the Senate, you need Georgia and you need Pennsylvania. They say Oz is a weak candidate, that Fetterman is still ahead even though he's a heart issue. I think you get sympathy with a heart issue, number one. Number two, he's way to the left. Oz has been really hit hard by Dave McCormick. Hard. There was a there was a blood and guts fight. Oz wins. And, of course, he's got to reassemble and consolidate the moderate and conservative support in Pennsylvania. Number two is uh, Fetterman got sympathy. Not many people want him. So between those two things. Number two, Herschel just put out his first ad the other day. Warnock's been around. Herschel had the problem, the issue with his family and with kids. Feels like he answered that. We'll be out and about with him shortly, too, in Georgia. So don't don't knock him down because one Quinnipiac poll. Well, most Democrats don't like that poll these days. Brian Kilmeade Show. Make sure you keep it here. And get my Fox Nation series, What Made America Great. Four new episodes are now available. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show. We've had a very, very busy week, especially for an off day. Sadly, it was the July 4th massacre uh, and one that was thwarted in Richmond that really made this week drag on. For many of you, you listening to us for the first time because you took the whole week off, and I appreciate that. Kind of cool. You'll get to see me on Fox News Channel as well as Fox Nation, as well as through all the radio affiliates when the Faulkner Focus does a simulcast with us in 11 minutes. And then you'll uh, get a chance to talk about what the Republicans should be emphasizing in something they've been avoiding, the January 6th, the January 6th in 2020 elections, the January 6th um, uh, investigation in 2020 elections uh, from the Federalist perspective. You'll, you'll really enjoy that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It appears when he drove to Madison, he was driving around. However, he did see a celebration that was occurring in Madison, uh, and he seriously contemplated using the firearm he had in his vehicle to commit another shooting. You believe that? That's Christopher Curvelli, the sergeant in charge of the investigation. The Highland Massacre could have been worse. He went to Madison, Wisconsin, decided, I didn't plan long enough. I probably won't kill a bunch of random people. Unfortunately, he decided to do that in Highland, so that's what took place. It's despicable, and guess what? His dad had all the red flag signs but says he had no idea. I don't buy it. He's complicit. Number two. Everything Biden does is permeated by this, you know, leftist climate change Green New Deal. And he really believes that this uh, high price of oil 
will be mitigated with the use of renewables. Outrageous. Reuters reports our strategic oil reserve is going to other countries, even our enemies, China and India, who is aiding Russia. They should be getting sanctioned. It's America's great crude oil, and it's going to other people in a time of emergency. Oil and gas, unbelievable, unacceptable, I think impeachable. Number one. The guy is a total fraud. I mean, look, he sided with the Biden administration killing the energy industry in Ohio in the name of green energy. I'm not surprised that he's politically smart enough to know that he has to run from Joe Biden. Right. uh, That is J.D. Vance talking about Tim Ryan refusing to appear with the president of the United States, who was in Cleveland, Ohio yesterday, said he was too busy, had previous plans. Right. Why? Because he voted with Joe Biden, doesn't want to be seen with Joe Biden. That's not acceptable. It comes off as inauthentic. But what else would you expect in today's political climate? Um, First off, a couple of things. This is the breaking news we weren't prepared to get until... Um, and until we uh, we heard it rumored, but it actually took place. Boris Johnson has resigned as prime minister. A disaster for the West, a disaster for the war against Russia, a disaster for the war which is in Europe. And overall, his dishonesty hurt the conservative movement in a country with a desperately need of leadership. But his undisciplined style of hiring sexual harassers and possibly molesters of him lying about pandemic parties and other things brought him to this point. Uh, And Niall Gardner weighed in on Fox and Friends this morning. Cut three. Boris Johnson is a a very big supporter of the U.S.-U.K. special relationship. Uh, He has, though, had, uh, in my view, I think, quite a tense relationship with with Joe Biden behind the scenes. Most recently, there have been significant differences over the Northern Ireland Protocol issue. And certainly there has been, uh, I think, uh, you know, a fair amount of disagreement between Boris Johnson and Joe Biden in some areas, although both leaders have worked closely together on the Ukraine uh, crisis. Uh, It is imperative, of course, that whoever replaces Boris Johnson is fully committed to advancing the U.S.-U.K. special relationship. Yeah, they need a trade deal. Uh, And Trump was going to do that. And he wanted to support Brexit and the U.K. being on their own. And for some reason, Biden wasn't buying that. Well, not for some reason. Democrats didn't want to see Brexit happen. But it happened. They should be doing it. He should have gotten that layup and reaffirmed his international relations uh, bona fides. Meanwhile, the president of the United States was in Cleveland, as I mentioned earlier, and he was talking about who's to blame for inflation, who's to blame for oil and gas prices, who's to blame for his 36 percent approval rating. Well, let me see. Um, maybe MAGA, maybe Trump, maybe Putin. Cuff for. We got a long way to go because of inflation, because of the I call it the Putin tax increase. Putin because of gasoline and all that grain he's keeping from being able to get to the market. Now I'm fighting like hell to lower costs on things that you talk about around your kitchen table. Is he crazy? Vladimir Putin's in charge of inflation now? Or was that the pandemic and bad supply lines and not planning for that and maybe putting too much money in the system? Nothing to do with Vladimir Putin. But it does bolster him domestically and around the globe, makes him bigger than he actually is in every sense of the word. You have, a th- you have a president with 36% approval rating because he flat out earned it. No one's forgiven him from Afghanistan, and they shouldn't. Here's what David Axelrod assessed things. Democratic strategist, cut seven. There is this sense that things are kind of out of control, and he's not in command. No one president could control inflation, but it is a, a, you know, it's a gale force wind right now. It's affecting politics. Very hard to come, you know, to, you, you heard him on gas prices today. 
talks about the gas tax holiday, but he's not going to get the gas tax holiday. And there are a lot of Americans who are skeptical about whether that would uh, that would help. Uh, so, there, you know, this is a very, very freighted, uh, fraught environment for him right now. Two things happen. One, he looked, thought he got 82 million votes and said, I have a mandate. Let me call John Meacham up and talk about how FDR did it. He didn't have that mandate, doesn't have the charisma. It's not a time of war. And he doesn't have uh, he has a 50 50 Senate. David Axelrod went a little further to say, I have all the questions. Joe Biden doesn't have great answers. Cut eight. When the president got into those questions, gas prices and inflation and abortion rights, there was a lot less of that certainty, a lot less of that emphatic nature uh, of his initial presentation on NATO because he doesn't have great answers. Yeah, we're going to do talk more about this with Harris Faulkner, who pointed out there were things that were looking good for Republicans. Uh, but all of a sudden, Nancy Pelosi comes out with a poll and she says, it looks like we're winning in six. We're going to win six Senate seats. And I wonder what they cited 538. And I went to 538 site. I didn't see it there. I thought, I must have missed his story. Well, it turns out she made it up. We'll talk about that with Harris Faulkner and so much more. And now the vice president continues to struggle on just about every stage. Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. In about a matter of moments, we're going to go on the Faulkner Focus on Fox News Channel. We'll do a simulcast. And it's a lot of what we were talking about already. Joe Biden last night in Cleveland. The big story was two people did not show up. One wants to be governor. One wants to be senator. They did not want to be seen with him. And just think, not even two years into his administration, on the midterm elections, Tim Ryan and Nan Whaley are an MIA. And that is insulting to me. It's kind of scary because they see internal polls that we don't usually see. So to me, if it's the last year of a lame duck presidency, maybe you do your own thing. Like George W. Bush kind of let uh, John McCain do his own thing because he wasn't that popular. The economy was cratering. But let's listen to, to Harris. He'll introduce me. Your intestinal fortitude, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate that, Harris. Thank Good you. Good to see you. Brian Kilmeade, Fox and Friends co-host and host of One Nation on Fox Nation. And now... Hosting along with Harris Faulkner in the focus, but we got to make it fast because he's got a commercial coming up or something. Uh, Brian, for, first of all, let's get to where the president is. And he wants to call it messaging. Communications want to call it messaging. Now you got your comms director, Kate Bedingfield, leaving. By the way, he has not said anything about her yet. His, his chief of staff has. But this is a key person on your staff. She's a really good communicator. By the way, I have 11 minutes, so I'm okay. Um, <laughs> But, okay. uh, but and, and thanks for joining me on One Nation last week in our big news duel. And welcome back this week. Harris, first off. It was off, nice to beat you. Sure, anytime. <laughs> it's true. Uh, KTX, she does a really good job. Just like you might not like Jen Psaki, what she says or you do, but she's very good on her feet. Uh, Kate Bennyfield should have been the press secretary. People say that's oh. a, a downgrade position. But word is she wanted it. And when she didn't get it, what's she doing there? She would have been light years better uh, than the, who they have right now, I believe. So Kate Bettingfield step aside. It's going to hurt, almost like Karen Hughes really hurt when George W. Bush moved into the White House. She was kind of setting the tone in policy. When she mm-hmm. went back to Texas, I think that hurt. Number two, she he can ill afford to lose another key staffer at this moment, especially one that can communicate. And here's the problem. The the president of the United States is used to turning off Republicans, just like President Obama turned off Democrats, turned off Republicans. And I imagine Donald Trump, according to reports, turned off a few Democrats. I get it. 
But what he's doing is he's not being effective and he's not telling the truth. To say Vladimir Putin yesterday is responsible for inflation? Are you kidding? Vladimir Putin's responsible for the uh, for their tax hike? Doesn't even make any sense. Plus, it's hurting him on the world stage. He's making that uh, that little uh, judo boy look four times as effective and muscly than he actually is. He acts like Russia has control of us when they are basically well, a gas station with point. a small army. And that's it's upping his reputation at our expense for his political gain, which no one in America is really buying. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd refer to him as a muscle boy. The horse riding Putin. Right. Um, but but I would say this, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head in terms of you are now putting more power or at least credit for having power in the hands of a madman. Like, why would Biden do that? Harris, I'll play that out another role. Guess who's starting to turn against writing blank checks to Ukraine? A lot of the American people as inflation yeah. goes up and our deficit grows. I think it's absolutely worth our dollars. But the president's got to keep selling that. Now he's going to turn around. Now he's saying, hey, the reason why you can't really afford to pay your bills, hey, the reason why gas is $5 a gallon is because of that war that you weren't really into supporting, but you decided to. Now you're making people question the support of the international operation he actually had support for. It is not a smart move overall. What you're saying is he took, again, a win and turned it into something that was less than a win. He's on the road to doing that. Yeah. Uh, just real quickly, though, on that point, I, from, from the polling, because when you read the polling, you read actual questions that they ask people. It isn't that people don't want to help Ukraine. They want to be able to do both. And they know that we're spending enough of our tax dollars with this government that if they would stop spending it on stuff that, that people don't care about, we would have money to help out Ukraine and help out ourselves, too, and not have to go to, like, Venezuela and, and Saudi Arabia for oil. We are begging in the streets of the world now for something we could make ourselves. A couple of things. Natural, it looks like the green uh, maniacs have looked at something we've been saying for the longest time. Nuclear energy is green and so is natural gas. Guess who's got natural gas thanks to the fracking, uh, fracking us? And guess who needs it? Europe. Guess who's getting off it rapidly because the Russians are cutting them off? Europe. You talk about a win-win. We reinvigorate the That's natural gas point. industry. You get LNG plants built at hyperspeed over in Europe. In the meantime, we double and triple the production to be once again their critical ally in the time of need that they can trust. And we tell everybody else who's signing up for the Belt and Road Program, the Belt and Road Program of China's, don't mm-hmm. do it. We don't extort you. We actually support you. Mm-hmm. And then we become invaluable to Europe even more. And yet it's for the profit free market principles that drive us. He doesn't seem capable of doing that. Now they got to go to other areas of Africa uh, to try to get natural yeah. gas, beg the UAE for natural gas. That's uh, people. Well, here they better at home. start in northern Africa because China's winking at them right, right now giving them cell phones and everything else. That Belt and Road program wants to run right through there. Are you running for president? All right, I got to go here. I might. Uh, I might. Uh, that was some good stuff there. Right. The Wall Street Journal with an editorial titled The Beltway's Case of Biden Remorse. A quote here. Stories about the White House dysfunction are the way that the Beltway crowd starts to distance itself from the man they'll blame if it's a Republican route. Sorry, Mr. President, the party needed you to beat Donald Trump, and you made the mistake of adopting the left's agenda. Now you're down in the polls. You are expendable. Brian. No question. And I think one thing to keep in mind beyond that, for Republicans to look at Joe Biden, see the weakness, the inability to talk on his feet, to do interviews and to do appearances and take three-day vacations on the weekends, 
uh, and think the Democrats are weak, I think it might give them a false sense. I think they got individual battles underneath the president mm-hmm. of the United States that they have to come out with a better message. But for the president of the United States, he's underachieved. His instincts aren't good on issues. The times he loses his temper a lot. If you go inside some of these reports inside the White House, he's blowing up at mid, mid-level staffers when things yes. go wrong. And I think that's the worst quality, beating up on people that are powerless in those situations, which he always said he'd be the opposite. If I find you treating another staffer bad, you're fired on the spot. What about if the president is treating his staff bad? They're deciding to quit on the spot. But absolutely, there's remorse there. The worst is, I don't think he's coachable. The third thing is, I don't think they got the the substantive policies to bring them through. Remember, Bill Clinton famously saw some Republican policies that he liked and adopted them. Dick Morris led him there and said, those are my policies. They ended up working. He got credit and he floated to a second uh, to a reelection in a landslide over Bob Dole. I think President... Uh, President Biden is incapable of seeing where the help is coming from. The help is coming from the Harold Fords of the world. The help is coming from the Senator Warners of the world, to the Jared Polis, the governor but of Colorado. He doesn't want to take that in because he thinks he, he sailed in on a mandate. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know why he would think that as divided as we are, A, as a nation, and B, on the Hill. But that's his perception, apparently. And what's really sad about it is he can't even articulate that. I, I do want to get to this. And, and I wrote down what you said. Biden has under, is underachieving. That is a key point. And, and Steve Hilton talked about Boris Johnson leaving. He started with that underachieving on policy in that same place. We made some comparisons there. All right, we'll move to this. Speaker Nancy Pelosi charged with helping her party prevail in the midterms. Can she do it? Well, it looks like that means stretching the truth. Or as we like to say in my house, lying like your pants are on fire. In a fundraising email, she cited 538, the polling firm, to claim Democrats look, quote, poised to win six Senate seats in November. Actually, most of those races are toss-ups or leaning Republican. Pollster Nate Silver called the speaker out, tweeted this, yeah, this is straight-up misinformation. We have Democrats as heavy underdogs in Florida and Ohio. Even ex-disinformation chief Nina Jankowitz getting in on the act She tweeted, this blatant misrepresentation of 538's work is unacceptable. Dems should drop this disinfo, as I would wager it was deliberate and focus fundraising on real issues. Wow. They almost slapped the scarf right off of her, Nancy Pelosi. She always has on those cute scarves. A couple of things uh, they did. There's no doubt about it. You know why? She cited specific polls. She could have said polls are Mm. trending our direction. But that shows you the person who's supposed to have the best staff, the speaker, can't even get her communications right. They're coming apart at the seams. So this morning, this is how this, this is how it threw me. The first thing I thought of this morning when I was working on this show and Fox and Friends is what did 538 say? Why am I not seeing this story? I went to Drudge in these foxnews.com. I'm was not seeing there? this story. No. In fact, if you go to 538, if I was reading it correctly, it has Republicans 53. It had Democrats 47. And the problem is not Florida. Marco Rubio, Val Demings is a fine candidate, but not stronger than Marco Rubio. And I'll tell you, one of the problems was, was Wisconsin's going to be the challenge. It's not listed there. Ron Johnson, again, the underdog. Within mm-hmm. Georgia, I know Herschel Walker's down, but he ran his first ad yesterday. I don't think it's time to throw in the towel. And Dr. Oz, good luck underestimating Dr. Oz. He went through a very fractious race with very tough Dave McCormick. It's going to take him a little while yeah. to get the team back together to compete in a very well, purple look. Pennsylvania. So it's a crazy statement to put out. 
There's a reason why the former President Trump stood by him. He believed in him. Yeah. And, uh, and he can step in at any time. He took that state. Remember that. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, always great to see you. You've got a scoot. Your team's yelling. Are Thank they you. really? No. Doesn't sound like my Only team. out of love. Right. Harris, Thank thanks you. so much. See you soon. Thank you. All right. one uh, 866 I'm going to come back, and I'm going to go inside the Federalist. Margaret, uh, Margot Cleveland. What she wrote over the weekend is something Republicans should be taking from January 6th. Are you intrigued? We'll find out what she has to say and find out also if there's more than enough. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the very core of executive privilege. You, you just cannot get more concentrated uh, privilege arguments than the White House counsel himself. Uh, it is absolutely essential for the president to be able to turn to an attorney uh, in the White House and ask for his frank advice. That conversation is going to be somewhat chilled, obviously, if the president believes that some questions or comments that he may have uh, could end up being replayed. Um, I would feel better about this uh, if the committee was making any effort to be bipartisan, to be balanced, uh, to actually look at alternative explanations for some of these facts. That is Jonathan Turley talking about Pat Cipollone's, uh, Cipollone's testimony on Friday. He's the president's chief legal counsel, and now he's going to be talking about what the president was on his mind, what he thought he was going to say, legal advice he gave him, what he took. I just think there's a real bad precedent here, and I'm wondering where they're going with it, being right now there's no legal ramifications. What are we doing this for, just to hurt Donald Trump? That is a bigger picture, bigger question. It's something that Margot Cleveland thought about when she put together this story on The Federalist. What really Republicans should be getting out of January 6th and the question that should be asked about the 2020 election. Uh, Margot, welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for having me. First off, just on your, your reaction to what's happening tomorrow with Pat Cipollone saying, I'll, I'll come testify. Well, I, I think as uh, the clip you just played, it really is problematic from a precedential standpoint. I'm assuming that he worked hard with his lawyers to make sure that the conversations that he's going to testify are going to be very limited. But this is really a problem when you have a one-sided committee going and trying to get information communications between the president and his top lawyer. It it's an atrocious precedent for our country. A couple of things that you, you have a big picture look at this. And by the way, Mick Mulvaney said something. You know, first he was very critical. He really believed the last, uh, the woman that testified, Cassidy uh, Hutchinson, that testified last week. And then they was on CNN and they were trying to get on him that he was, that why are you so late to being so co- condemning of the president? He's like, I'm not. And I think this is pure politics. I just think that Cassidy was somebody Republicans should listen to if they decide who the next president should be. You have a different take. You say if, uh, Republicans should stop talking about the, what happened with Georgia or invisible ballots that may or may have topped up in Wisconsin or Arizona and all this stuff. But there are things that legitimately were wrong with the 2020 election that Republicans and Donald Trump should have been talking about. Can you give us an example? 
Absolutely. So one of the things that the committee is doing is trying to get everyone to talk about election fraud and some of the more outrageous things that were floated about the machines, you know, flipping votes and that there were suitcases of ballots that were fraudulent. What we need to focus on is what a disaster our election system in the United States is. And we know this because of the widespread problems and violations of election law. Georgia, case in point. In Georgia, there were over 30,000 voters who, it appears, voted illegally. And when I say illegally, I mean in violation of the state election code, which requires a candidate, excuse me, not candidate, a voter to cast a ballot in the county in which they reside. And there were more than 30,000 who moved from one county to another and then cast a ballot. And after the election, there was follow-up done by a election expert down there. And he's shown that over 10,000 of them have already confirmed that, yeah, they had actually moved. Now, a lot of people look at this like, oh, well, you know, they, they had a right to vote. Who cares? That's not how you run elections. You have rules, and they're there for a reason. And every time one illegal vote is cast, it disenfranchises a lawful voter. You also have to look at it from the standpoint of what if someone wanted to vote, but they followed the rules? They didn't vote illegally. Georgia is one example. We have Pennsylvania, where the legislative branch ignored the Constitution and allowed for no excuse absentee ballots. We have Wisconsin, where we had drop boxes illegally placed. The problem with the 2020 election was not widespread fraud. It was widespread ignoring of the election laws that were passed by the state legislative body. And this is something that Democrats used to care about. If you look at the 2005, excuse me, 2004 election where he had Bush v. Gore, after that, we had the, excuse me, 2000 election. After that, we had the 2005 report by the Carter Commission that went through and detailed all of the problems in our country with voting. Every single one of those happened in 2020 as well. So you looked at Georgia. Uh, and what about the, the governors that just bypassed the legislature and changed rules? Right. Absolutely. And that is a problem. And Texas tried to point that out when they filed a lawsuit. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to look at that. You don't have standing because, you, you know, you're not one of the voters. You're not one of the candidates. But you can't just ignore these election laws. But what's happening to it? Nothing is happening. And it is appalling. And this isn't a matter that Trump didn't get in. Don't tell me this is not going to happen when the Democrats lose in two years, the presidency. They are going to come back and do the exact same thing. It is important for our country that we have rules, that they're enforced, and that they're clear And we can't have just politicians willy-nilly saying, oh, we're not going to follow the law because of. There's always going to be a because of. And that is going to ruin the integrity. And it's going to ruin the trust that Americans have, that the results are are valid. So what's your point about Margot Cleveland, our guest from the Federalist? Mm -hmm. So would you say in two years you think if Democrats lose the presidency, they're going to cite all the same things? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
You still have Hillary Clinton claiming that the election was stolen from her back in 2016, which is so ironic that, you know, Trump's doing it and everybody's crying. You still have Hillary Clinton doing it. You really believe the overall objective is to the swamp to destroy Trump and anybody else who wants to mess up their life by throwing, you know, turning the chairs and table over. Oh, absolutely. This is a forewarning. Don't you dare come in and try to change the way Washington does business. It's not just the Democrats that are doing it. You're also having some of the establishment Republicans who are either cooperating or they're they're basically turning a blind eye. And this is something that the American public should not tolerate. And you don't think it's really going to stop. But that's Trump's strategy of coming in there and saying we're going to check this battle is fake and this voting machine was wrong. That was a bad strategy. And that enabled oh. people to attack him and look at his legal team, made things up they couldn't even back up, and it makes him look like the Keystone Cops when there was something legitimate to look at. So they, they did worse than, uh, not, worse than talk about this. They talked about the wrong thing, ruining this. Well, absolutely. But it wasn't all of Trump's legal team. In Georgia, he had some very good lawyers who were pushing this. And what happened in Georgia was that the state judge kicked the case down and delayed it until after the resolution. And that's why I actually wrote a piece yesterday on this, that they have the Fulton County prosecutor trying to make it look like there was some sort of conspiracy to defraud. And they're still lying about the conversation Trump had with the with the secretary of state there that was all about illegal voting that had nothing to do with the dominion voting machines or the suitcase of ballots it was all about violations of the state election law but the press has been lying to the american public for so long they think it was about those ridiculous fraud cases that were being was were being bandied about, but again, it, that wasn't all Trump was talking about. But that's what the press is lying to the American public. The, the January sixth committee is doing the exact same thing. So you also talk about this so-called drafted letter from former Assistant Attorney General Jeff Clark. You think it's been wrongly characterized? Absolutely. First, it was a draft letter that he put together to run by his bosses. Second. If you read it, the word fraud is nowhere in that article. Molly Hemingway did a great takedown on that point. Third, if you look at it, one of the things that he mentions is exactly what I'm talking about. The illegal voting that happened in Georgia that was never decided by a court because the judge delayed the hearing. And that was right before court that had nothing to do with this fraud. And they are making it look like he was pushing knowingly fraudulent claims about election fraud that had nothing to do with what was in the letter. You should also put you also point out that the Zuckerberg bucks that flowed into these key districts at the last minute when they said he was giving to both sides was a flat out lie. It was blatant. And we should be looking at if this is legal or not. Right. So here what you have to look at is the idea of the equal protection clause. And that protects citizens from being denied the equal rights under the law. When you have private money being targeted to certain counties 
And working with basically the state election officials to get out the vote, which happened in Wisconsin, it happened in Pennsylvania, that raises huge problems under the Equal Protection Clause. But Brian, it goes further than that. Zuckbucks might be out of the picture, but the groups that they used are doing the exact same thing and are pushing more money out there. So this isn't over just because Zuckbucks are out of the picture. They have learned, the Democrats have learned, this is how you do it. You go part and parcel with the election officials, and you use them, the state, to get out your vote. You Real quick, uh, this other column I find fascinating, too, because I haven't seen people, and I'm in New York, I haven't seen people talk about this. So the Supreme Court came out and said, hey, for the most part, I'll put it in layman's terms, that Second Amendment, it doesn't look like New Yorkers have a right to it, so I'm going to change that. So denying people the ability to have a concealed firearm is unconstitutional. So in terms, then in comes this insert from Justice Kavanaugh that says, name some places you want it restricted. And now Republic, the Democrats have gone to town, over-restricted, subways, theaters, um, uh, bars, restaurants, state house buildings. So they're listing all these places. It's actually more restrictive now to have a concealed weapon than before the Supreme Court justice uh, came out with their opinion, correct? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you raised that, Brian, because most people are missing that. In my piece, I list them. I think it goes A through S or A through T, where they detail every place that they consider a, quote, sensitive place. And that is ridiculous. They have basically made it that the only place you can carry a concealed weapon is from your house on the sidewalk to get into your car. That is completely an anathema to what the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms for self-defense in public means. And the Supreme Court was very clear. You can't just define sensitive places so broadly that it's any place that happens to be busy. So this is something that New Yorkers should take a look at. And, and they should realize that their government, their, their state government, is basically saying, we don't care about your Second Amendment rights. So would, do you think this is going to be challenged? Oh, absolutely. I'm surprised it actually hasn't been yet. But uh, given another week or so, we did have the Independence Day weekend. So lawyers deserve some time off, too. So I would expect in the next week or two that you're going to see a legal challenge to that law. Understood. Uh, So, Margaret, the other thing is, from what you know, and I know there's a few states there's been challenges to straighten out the election issue problems and to the point where they were so upset, the Democrats were so upset, they had the Major League Baseball boycott the game and they uh, it looked like they weren't going to like movies being shot in Georgia. All that stuff has kind of gone by the boards. Have the Republicans done anything to straighten out local uh, legislators, straighten out some of the problems? Well, they have. And like you said, Georgia passed quite a few laws there. Um, but even though you say, you know, that's gone by the the wayside, the Biden administration is actually challenging those laws, claim, claiming that they're a violation of the Voting Rights Act. So even those laws are still being challenged. The other legislatures are doing are, are trying to pass some laws, too, but I'm still not seeing anything nearly as strenuous as you need. You need the state legislative branch to say, if you don't follow the rules that we give you, the consequence is going to be We will take back the decision of who gets our electoral votes. Make it punitive so that they do not ignore the law. Got it. Uh, Fascinating, Uh, Margo. He writes for the Federalist. Uh, you got to check this out. And then tomorrow, the January 6th committee reconvenes. 
Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Margot Cleveland. Thanks, Brian. Take care. You got it with the Federalist. one 408 I'll come back with some calls. And don't forget, One Nation, Saturday night at 8 o'clock and 11, Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right, welcome back, everybody. Let's finish this hour with more to know. More to know. USFL championship game on Fox. I know you watched it on July 3rd. 1.5 million people tuned in on Sunday. The ranks the most watched and most streamed USFL contest since the league opened up in April in Canton, Ohio. Uh, pretty cool. I think that's pretty good. The USFL, the USFL game ranked 46 out of 63 primetime shows. Uh, the final championship game uh, back in 1983 had 11.9. So we're never going to get that type of network rating, but I think it's pretty good. Plus Steve Young, Jim Young, uh, uh, Steve Young, Jim Kelly, and Doug Foody aren't in the league right now. But good start. They'll be back for year two. Only Next, only 16% of PGA fans watched the first Saudi Golf League event. Uh, according to a new morning console poll, four and five PGA fans indicated they would want to uh, they want to watch the world's best players. But a lot of the best players, like Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, Bryson uh, Bryson DeChambeau, and Dustin Johnson, are all in this league. So maybe that'll change next. More sports. Browns finally trade Baker Mayfield. They send him to the Panthers. Uh, he was a former number one pick overall. They get him for a fifth round draft pick. They're looking to dump the salary. The Browns are paying ten million not to have him. Mayfield gets $18 million. The Panthers have to pay just $4.8 million, and Mayfield cut three point five million off his fee. Next, Nathan's hot dog eating contest betters refunded after an incident. Member, uh, uh, what's his name? Joey, Joey Chestnut, Chestnut. Yep. Uh, was, was, uh, was rushed by a protester who came on stage. He had to put him in a headlock. That screwed up his total. Chestnut won his seventh title in a row uh, by consuming 63 hot dog. And buns because of the incident, it fell well short of the pre-competition over/under of 74.5. Unbelievable! People are betting on that. And a rusting Eiffel Tower in need of full repairs. The Eiffel Tower is riddled with rust and need of full repairs. And instead of being given a cosmetic 60 million dollar Euro paint job ahead of the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris, how um, a confidential report to say experts cited by Marianne, Marianne, uh, Marianne. Mm, I'm not sure about this. It's probably more of a French uh, twist on the name. Right. I'm pretty sure it is simple. uh, The Eiffel Tower visited the place. It would have been a heart attack. If Gustav Eiffel visited his place, he would have a heart attack. Evidently, the French let this whole thing rust away. How many things do they have to worry about? They got one. They got just a bunch of museums and one Eiffel Tower. That's it. It's pretty bad. But hopefully it'll get done by 2024. That's it for this edition of this hour of of uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Make sure you keep it here. And follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and everything else you can, including Rumble. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.